Welcome to Pharma Launch Secrets, a podcast by Evermed. We host direct, actionable conversations with world-leading pharma launch experts that will help you launch your next product or indication successfully. Now, here's your host, Bozidar Jovicevic. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Pharma Launch Secrets podcast. Today, I'm joined by Scott Snyder. Scott is currently a Chief Digital Officer at Eversana, a leading provider of global services to the life science industry. And he's also the best-selling author of Goliath's Revenge, How Established Companies Turn the Tables on Digital Disruptors. Scott is also a senior fellow in the management department of the Wharton School, where he taught for 16 years. And he is also a digital economy project fellow for the World Economic Forum and sits on the Penn Health Tech Advisory Board. He also holds three patents for personalization and recommendation engines and has been quoted as a thought leader in numerous publications, including CIO, Wired, Forbes, Knowledge at Wharton, Los Angeles Times, and Wall Street Journal. Welcome, Scott, and pleasure to have you today. Nice to see you, Bozzi. All right. So I am excited about this conversation. I have a lot of questions for you. And as a little bit of warm-up, given that you know COVID happened, the world has changed, the way pharma commercializes products has changed, I wanted to start with what do you see is the, has been the biggest change when it comes to pharma launches before and after COVID? Great. I may be a little biased being a chief digital officer, but I, I would say the biggest thing is this shift towards a digital first world and approach, both from expectations of patients, HCPs, payers to want to interact digitally, whether it's self-service, telemedicine, on-demand, e-commerce, those expectations have made their way into healthcare and life sciences and have been accelerated by COVID. So I think, I think that's probably the biggest observation overall. Maybe one of the other ones is, which is obvious to life science companies, is just reduced access to HCPs, especially for the field force. And having to navigate through that and find other ways to interact or engage with HCPs than the traditional ways. And probably on the other side is reduced access for patients. And this is where um, some of the sad facts around patients just not being able to access care when they need it, get diagnosed, increased wait times, poor adherence. That was also something that we saw during COVID as well. Sounds great. Yeah. And it's interesting. I, I always try to look at other industries when I'm thinking of pharma and pharma has, in terms of digital maturity, I remember one slide from one of the consultancies showing this pharma scores lower on digital maturity, but scores extremely high on AI adoption, not pharma, but healthcare, actually. It seems like what happened in many other industries with digital first is now happening in pharma. So my question for you, especially since you also wrote a book that is related to this topic, just high level, how do you think is pharma right now reacting to this? What's the stage where pharma is right now when it comes to this new reality? Yeah, I think it's interesting you pointed that out about AI, but I would argue most of the advancements in AI and pharma have happened on the R&D side in terms of things like drug discovery and clinical trials and, and finding patients for those trials and, and maybe lagging on the commercialization side. But I think that's where the opportunity is to apply data and intelligence to drive more personalized interactions, to accelerate time to, to outcomes. And I think that's, once again, probably where pharma is lagging, both on the experience side and the use of data and AI on the commercial side. 
relative to other industries, I think certainly on the consumer experience, it's improving, but has a long way to go in healthcare and life sciences specifically, but also in the use of data on the commercial side. Got it. And those are very big topics, right? <laughs> Just going into one of them can be nerve wracking uh, for a lot of folks. So any, what, what I see is a word of the year or one of the top three words of the year is being omnichannel, which kind of combines everything you mentioned and user experience and data and digital. So before we go into unpacking those, maybe it would be a good idea to start with the biggest myths that you see when it comes to omnichannel, because often we also as enter conversations with pharma and then there are these preconceived notions, oh, that cannot be done with look, something that someone said 20 years ago and then something that someone said 10 years ago. That cannot be done. Someone will mention adverse effect. Oh, no, compliance would not agree with that. What are some of the biggest myths and obstacles that you experience when it comes to adopting omnichannel? Yeah, I'm glad you asked this. I actually have a love-hate relationship with the word omnichannel because I think it's something the industry associates a certain paradigm with. And I think that paradigm is changing right in front of our eyes. Uh, so one of the biggest myth, myths is that omnichannel is a tech or digital thing only. But the reality is it's about orchestrating these relevant interactions or experiences at the right time and the right context for a given end user. It includes both digital and human touch points. And we'd argue the human touch points, whether it's a field rep, an MSL, a call center agent, those are just as important, if not more important, than the digital touch points, and they have to work together. So I think that's one thing that's missing, that this isn't just a tech thing. The second is about omnichannel isn't just pushing content or ads at people. It's actually about, it should be about starting with the end user and working backwards to discover what's their intent, what's their context or situation, and how do we enable them to take the action they need to get care faster, to get to outcomes faster, whether they're an HCP helping their patient or a patient trying to seek care. We've heard pharma companies talk about touching HCPs in 16 different ways, and yet it's the same human being. That's kind of scary. The last one I'll just mention is that you can just take your existing content and use it in an omni-channel world, and that couldn't be further from the truth. You actually have to rethink how your content and actually intelligence and in what you're delivering is integrated into those relevant experiences. And that's not necessarily the way you've constructed content in the past. So modular dynamic content is going to be a key part of delivering Omnichannel. So those are just a couple of the myths and ways to maybe go about navigating through them. Got it. And then as we're going to the direction of content, maybe we start there because kind of content, data, UI, it's all interconnected. So there is no really data without content, not 100%, but largely data comes from some sort of interaction, which is usually driven by content. So let's start with content. When just the word content is mentioned, like, hey, pharma, you need to have more content in this new digital first world. Like, what does it mean? Because oftentimes when that word is mentioned, people think, Content that's used unpack. What does it mean? Content? Is it that one like sales, sales driving content? Is it on demand content, live content? And what types of content do you think is where what, what doctors are asking and needing from pharma? Yeah. And I know you're deep in this business, uh, Bozy with Evermed, but I mean, content really think of content just like digital as a medium to convey knowledge to an end user. 
right? And as we see in the consumer worlds, users choose their content format, whether it's a game, whether it's a video, whether it's a journal article, and need to solve their own problem of getting some piece of knowledge so that they can apply it. And I think we sometimes lose sight of that. And we're so obsessed with the content itself that we're not thinking about the end user's job to be done. And I think if we start there, then we realize that our content's probably not formatted in the best way for all users or the way users want to consume it. And that's where personalization really drives what your content should look like. So if we need bite-sized content that fits within a mobile application where somebody needs a refresher on a topic of medical information or dosing, they need to be able to get to it quickly. They don't want to read a 10-page article. Or if somebody just needs to connect with some, you know, a presentation that was in a Congress and they want to see the cliff notes of that, how do they get to it quickly? And I think that's where platforms like Evermed are great because they start with the user and figure out how do I personalize and make available the content they most need access to for what they're trying to do. Right. And when it comes to, so a lot of pharma companies and medical device companies get a little bit discouraged in this notion of now you need more content. And what do you think are the biggest obstacles there? Is it to know what kind of content to produce? Is it the MLR review? And what are some of the kind of best practices or you, things that you've seen working so far? Yeah, I think, I think if once again, if, you, if the, you design from the user backward and start to say, what kind of content do I need and how do I make it modular and dynamic so that it can fit different experiences, different interactions, and then kind of send it through my MLR process so that I've got a portfolio of the right content that I can mix and match along with my data and intelligence to know how to deliver it or make it available. That's really where we need to start versus starting with a monolithic set of content and then trying to reshape it or reform it. In many cases, pharma has plenty of content. There's plenty of uh, scientific knowledge. There's plenty of content that's been generated within the company or its partners. But a lot of times it's just starting with the right framework to say, how do I make it modular and dynamic and work through the, the approval and compliance process that way? Do you see a future where, which happened in other industries, I remember reading many years ago more about content marketing and, and there was a point made that every company is partially becoming a media company as well. Do you see a future where pharma companies are creating the media capabilities inside or, or you think they're going to rely more on partners like Arisana? Who is going to build more studios and more content production factories, if you will? Yeah, I think it's a good question. And I, I could argue the same. I know we're going to get into data that every pharma company needs to become a data company. I don't know that they need to be a media company. And I think they can rely on partners for that. But I think more and more media is going to be shaped by consumer expectations. I mean, for instance, a lot of people don't realize they think the mobile device is, is the next big platform. Well, Mobile is actually declining in usage. It's 50% of all interactions. 15% are on a desktop. The other 35% are a whole bunch of other devices that are including things like nonlinear TV and gaming consoles and VR headsets and wearables. So how are we now going to make our content relevant and available on those new sets of devices? And so I think it's a combination of getting your content curated and packaged in the right way so it can be relevant and useful on those devices, but also making sure you have the right partners to be able to deliver it through these different new channels. So I think pharma is probably never going to have all that capability in-house, 
but certainly they need to be aware of it so they can start to support that kind of new model and, and those new delivery channels. Got it. And then, of course, in the natural topic that connects with content is, is data. And the word data is also used very broadly in many meetings. Oh, you know, we need more data. We need to improve our marketing. So first of all, let's go a little bit deeper and define like in the context of launches, what is actually the data that can be helpful for pharma companies? And then how can someone face with that challenge right now of organizing the data and, and, and setting up the omnichannel, multi-channel capabilities? Where do they even start? Yeah, I think there's a couple of things there. First of all, data is another big term, right? And a lot of people like to say data is the new oil and, and all the good stuff. I like to think of data as oxygen because digital is nothing and has no impact without data, right? Both in terms of leveraging data to make those experiences more personalized and impactful, but also earning the right through those experiences to capture and add to your data and insights. So it's vital, right? It, it's, a, it's everything from how we find and identify and target patients or HCPs to how we drive the right experience at the right time. All that is data-driven and it gets smarter over time. Something we talk about in the book, we call it a data flywheel, that if we're able to deliver relevant, impactful experiences, then we earn the right to capture more data from those end users because they engage more, which then feeds our algorithms and allows us to deliver even better experiences in the future. It starts to build a perpetual advantage. And a lot of people aren't thinking about this flywheel concept. They kind of have separate structures for their data. They're delivering these experiences. And then the feedback loops where they measure the outcomes of those are, are also separate. Those need to be brought together so that we can have this real-time or near-real-time view of how our models are performing and how we can improve them over time and continue to add other data sources, both real interaction data, along with clinical and other types of historic interaction data that can help us. So that's really where pharma needs to get to is how do we get to this data flywheel where those experiences across all channels, human and digital, are being measured, and then we can continue to improve those experiences through more personalization and better modeling. Got it. So, so just in terms of concept of flywheel, we use sometimes that term. They often explain it's like a big metal circular thing that it takes some time to start to move. <laughs> and then, but at one point, it becomes, you know, it, it gets this momentum and becomes even unstoppable. And so what are the kind of the key elements? You mentioned some of them, the key elements of that flywheel. Where does it start? Does it start with content or it starts with some initial data or research and then content and data and then leads to where? Does it lead to a more meaningful rep interaction? What does the flywheel consist of? Yeah, I mean, think of uh, people trained the first self-driving car, right, which was AI-driven. Those first self-driving cars didn't get very far, right? They ran off the road, they crashed, they made it 10 miles in the first DARPA XPRIZE race. If you think of our own algorithms in an omni-channel world the same way, right, we have to start with a hypothesis. We start with, we think these ty types of HCPs or patients are going to prefer this type of content based on our historical interactions. And we train our models based on what we have so far, but we know those are going to change over time. And for certain users, maybe we know very little about them. So we're using lookalike models to see how we think they might behave. 
And then ultimately, we're going to see the outcome of that interaction, whether it's a field rep delivering a certain message to an ACP or whether it's call center agent responding when they call in to check on a patient or enroll them at a program, the script that they use. So every one of those interactions and touch points becomes an ability to add an insight back into our algorithm and our model to better understand what interactions at what time through what channel are going to be best. That's really the flywheel. It's algorithms, it's experiences, and it's data and insights captured from those experiences that we continue to feed and make our models better and more impactful. Got it. Clear. And then I have to ask you these questions in order to, to build that flywheel. There are multiple components. There are also multiple technology components. And there is always this question of should you buy, build, license? And I assume a lot of those are software components. So which one of those do you think pharma companies should, buy, should build, if any, or buy? Or which one they should license, whether it's data or content delivery or, or in general, your, your view on this? I'm really curious about it. Yeah, I, I think there's no one right answer, right? And there's always going to be, you know, obviously, if you're an emerging biotech or even a mid-sized pharma, you're probably going to tend to want to outsource those or let somebody else manage those platforms for you, because maybe that's not where you want to focus your resources. But maybe if you're a large pharma and you have the means and resources, you decide you want to stand that up internally. That's where a lot of the large pharma companies go. Whatever path you go down, the most important thing is that at the data layer, you have everything connected from the initial interactions all the way to the measurement points. And the measurement points don't just end in the marketing world, right? It doesn't just end, did somebody open an email or did a field rep close the loop with this? It's all the way to the endpoints. So if that same HCP is interacting with an MI portal or in patient services, how are their interactions changing? And I think that's where our opportunities to think about our feedback loop and touch points much more broadly for Omnichannel and really get a richer picture of that same human being across all those touch points. I think that's whatever we do, we need to make sure that at the data and AI layer, we're capturing data from all those touch points and we're continuing to improve our models. And the mistake we see being made today is a lot of those platforms are broken up. There's a MarTech platform, there's a patient services hub, there's a field platform, and they're not all connected and integrated so that you can actually orchestrate those interactions and learn from them. Would that be a first step in doing uh, everything together? As you said, UI and algorithms and content and data. Would that be a first step to organize all the data sets, sources of data, extract, transform, load, and all that, all those pieces in one place before even thinking about everything else? It's a huge step, Bozy, because a lot of times these data sets are staged in different areas. They're not integrated. There's no single unified view of an HCP or a patient across those. I talk in the book about something called the data balance sheet, understanding which data you actually own. And a lot of times companies don't even understand which data, what data assets they own versus which ones they buy and which ones they could have the right to capture. Certain real world data may be coming from a companion app that you have deployed with one of your drug assets. Can we use that data to feed our model? So understanding and taking an inventory of your current data assets owned and purchased and understanding that data balance sheet is a great step to understand then what can we leverage in our models and algorithms to go build this personalization engine or data flywheel. And then is there any deployment of everything we're discussing right now 
of the companies that are a little bit ahead of other companies and any examples you can share without mentioning names that will be great to 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 learn from yeah i think there's some really innovative things happening surprisingly in in some of the disease areas that maybe were a little bit further behind like oncology which kind of lagged on the digital side i would argue there's some really interesting things happening in oncology including digital therapeutics or companion apps to help measure patients' vital signs and symptoms and making sure that they're progressing in their treatment. That interaction, both involving the patient and the care circle and the HCP, can be incredibly valuable and rich data to bring back in to the process to understand the journey more. And then even being able to deliver personalized interactions that are based on understanding where a patient is, is in that journey from the initial diagnosis all the way through their first and second line therapy and understanding how do we trigger certain interactions off of that. We've seen um, some companies really make advancement in that area. I think this notion of triggers has already been around, but what we trigger off of and making those triggers more real time or near real time is probably where we see kind of the state of the art right now. Got it, clear. Who do you think, especially since you wrote a book related to these topics, and nowadays we have also a trend of smaller companies launching their first and the only product on their own without entering like royalty deals or partnership deals with pharma. So is it larger companies that have the advantage and ability to pivot? Is it smaller companies that you think are doing this better? What do you currently see in the market? Does size matter? Yeah, you would think, and we talk about this in Goliath's Revenge, right? That large companies, they're gifted with all these amazing advantages, right? They have data, they have reach, they have brand reputation, they have access to patients, they have scientific and, and industry knowledge, all those things that a lot of startups would kill to have or don't can't hire in. But on the flip side, they can't get out of their own way, right? Because they tend to be entrenched in their existing business models and operating models, and it's hard to change. And so how do you create that second speed or running at the speed of digital where startups, they're kind of born digitally native in many cases. So we've kind of seen this play out in the banking industry with fintechs and large banks. And initially everybody declared that fintechs were gonna take over banking. And in many areas, they've made huge headway. But if you look at the scale, for instance, take Venmo versus Zelle, and everybody talks about Venmo as a payment device, the volume that's done through Zelle dwarfs what's done through Venmo, right? Or if you look at robo-advisors like Wealthfront, these were companies that were really exciting. But the reality, it's the vanguards and the BlackRocks of the world have built their own robo-advisors and have figured this out and really dominate robo-advising. So... I think the same thing is going to happen here. It's not that startups can't really scale and disrupt, but at the same time, large companies have a huge advantage and ultimately they need to partner together. Large companies need to learn from small companies, take some of that second speed capability to innovate or disrupt faster. And small companies need to partner with some of the larger companies or in some cases, companies like Eversana that can bring those broader capabilities together. Which brings me actually to the question. So I know Eversana has, based on what I know, of course, has an, uh, what is called end-to-end commercialization model and services to pharma. So how does Eversana, high level, help companies adjust to this digital first future? I mean, the cool thing about Eversana is we, we kind of live in between the David and Goliath world, right? So about half of our business is with the Davids, right? The emerging biotechs, the, the companies that are 
the scrappy startups that might have several products. And we're basically providing them the end-to-end services and technology to go bring those products to market in, a, in an efficient, accelerated way. And then we're also helping mid and large pharma continue to accelerate their own capabilities, whether it's an omni-channel or brand experiences. And what's neat is we can actually be a living test bed, right? Because we're constantly deploying new innovations for what we call our complete clients, where we're doing everything. We can actually measure across all those touch points I talked before, the outcomes, and close the feedback loops to see how those new strategies, those new innovations are performing. And we can bring that outcomes data to pharma and say, here's a new omni-channel solution or a patient engagement solution or a way of using data differently to engage HCPs. So it's really neat to be a test bed, but also deploying solutions at scale in the mid-large pharma area. So we can really be a bridge for both. Oh, okay. That's great to know. I feel like each one of these topics could be could take an hour if we go like deeper. So maybe that those are ideas for uh, future episodes. At this point, I'd love to to bring uh, for listeners to learn a little bit more about you. So for the very end, what to ask you some of the quick fire questions. The first one being, what is your favorite industry buzzword of the year 2022? Well, I won't say omni-channel because that's obvious. I guess I'd say metaverse, even though it's not healthcare specific, because I think it is the word of the year. And my feeling is metaverse is just a collection of technologies. Some people call it Web 3.0, things like blockchain and, and mixed reality and the ability to add this distributed data layer and I don't think any one company can control it. Got What is the best book you've read in the last 12 months? The most provocative book, I think, is a book called AI 2041. It's by a luminary in the AI space from China, Kai Fu Li, along with a science fiction writer, Chen Kufan, who really envisioned what an AI-driven world could look like a couple decades from now. Definitely adding to my list. I haven't heard of the book. What's your go-to song when you need some inspiration? That's a good question. I, I have a, quite a variety, but I would say The Underdog by Spoon. All right. I know this is a tough question, but who in the world of pharma would you most like to take out for lunch? This is a tough one. Besides you, Bozy, I would say uh, Daniel, Daniel Kraft from Exponential Medicine. He always provokes my own thinking when I talk to him. Yeah. And sometimes it's hard to follow. I remember I listened to a few of his presentations and in the first 30 minutes, I was like, Packed with Whoa, content. I need an hour to <laughs> yeah. pack with content. Yes. <laughs> And what, what one sentence advice would you give to anyone starting in pharma marketing right now, today? I mean, we talked about it, but, you know, start with the user or the human being and work backwards, whether it's the patient, HCP, payer, whoever it is, and build your data flywheel. Think about how you're going to create your unique data flywheel that resonates with your users and your company. Yeah. Which is what I know Steve Jobs has been saying for decades, and it's, it's so true, and it still continues to be true. Start with the user and don't start with the technology. If you have technology first, then, you know, you have a, how to say, everything looks like a nail. If you have a hammer, everything looks like a nail, right? And then lastly, where can people find you online? Definitely on LinkedIn and uh, Twitter, for sure. All right. Thank you. It's been a real pleasure to have you today on the call. We touched on some really critical points and looking forward to learn more about what's happening in the Aversana world and your world. This podcast was brought to you by Evermed. 
Evermed offers pharma companies the fastest path to having their own Netflix-like on-demand video engagement hubs for doctors or patients. Make sure to search for Pharma Launch Secrets in Apple Podcasts or Spotify and click on the follow icon so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Evermed, thanks for listening.